This is Study Sessions, brought to you by Sex Ed Debunked. In these mini-sodes, we'll discuss a myth suggested to us by listeners like you. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Sex Ed Debunked to suggest new myths, provide your own show notes, and give us ideas for what to talk about next. Now take some notes. The study group is in session. Hi, and welcome to Study Sessions, a weekly Minnesota where we discuss relevant issues brought to us by you, our listeners. In today's study session, we're talking about the minority stress model from the perspective of, well, me. Aww. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I am stressed. Well, we, we've talked in the past about minority stress model and, and stigma, and in particular for sexual minority individuals. And what when we talk about minority stress, what we're saying is that we have, there's three types, basically three types of stigma. There's enacted stigma when people actually say stuff to you and, mm-hmm. and discriminate you because of who you are. There's also anticipated stigma, that feeling that you get when you're like, oh gosh, people are going to judge me when I walk into the space. And then the other one is internalized stigma by just living in the world that we live in that you start to feel inter- internalized stigma. You feel bad about who you are and the choices that you make. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've kind of talked about this from the academic perspective, from kind of the 30,000-foot level. And mm-hmm. um, today, Shannon wants to tell a little bit of her story because, you know, we all know you as very— <laughs> Hey, it's me. <laughs> you know, loud, proud, queer, outspoken, smart, intelligent, all these wonderful things. Um, and tend to think, well, maybe someone like that doesn't experience stigma. But that's not exactly true, is it, Jen? No, and I think, you know, this this topic came up this week because I was in Virginia for um, a wedding with my girlfriend, and it was great. The wedding was great. The people were great at the wedding. But, you know, anytime you kind of travel to a new place, and this is what I realized, is like anytime I travel to a new place that I'm unfamiliar with, especially in a state like Virginia, that's like kind of blue, but there's definitely pockets of red and like whatever, there's always that feeling of how am I going to be received here and, you know— am I going to have to censor myself or edit myself in order to be safe? Yeah. And that's yeah. not a fun way to feel. So um, let's talk about your trip to Europe this summer. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was in – actually, ironically, this is when I met my girlfriend. Not in Europe. We were talking before that. But um, I went to Europe, and uh, one of the places – the last place on my uh, trip was Prague. Um, and I was in – the square in Prague, like the famous square in Prague. And um, there was a man who was probably on drugs of some kind, just based on how he was interacting with people. But he was sitting there in the middle of the square and I was taking photos of the square, but he was sitting in front of a fountain and I was taking photos. And the first thing that happened was he just got mad. He was like, don't take pictures of me. I wasn't taking pictures of him. I was taking pictures of the seven, (laughs) yeah, hundred years old, whatever. But um, I just, you know, politely was like, oh, sorry, my bad. And um, as that was happening, my friend Morgan that I was traveling with came up to me and I guess somewhere between her walking up to me and me turning my phone in the other direction, um, I have my Queers and Beers of Rhode Island sticker on my phone. Morgan, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe presents a certain way, whatever, but, but the combination of factors, this man just immediately thought that we were gay. You were together. That we were together, that we were and, – and just went off. Like all of a sudden he's like, you're lesbians, which is crazy because this guy's like in Czech Republic and like doesn't like, – he knows enough English to say hateful things. Right, right. But they know the hateful things. Yeah, yeah. And just goes like, you're, you're lesbians, you're disgusting, you're sinful and just starts going off. And it was awful. 
Um, it was awful. Yeah, it just was such a like stark and immediate and just really like harsh reaction to something I wasn't even putting out there, you know? Well, it's so such a seemingly insignificant thing that you just have a sticker on your water bottle that mm-hmm. happens to say queer beers. Yep. And that brings such hate in your direction. And I remember Shannon, you know, so Shannon is world traveler. She loves to to experience everything a new country, a new city has to offer. And that night you called me and I was like, where's your energy? You sounded so different. Yeah. And I think that's an important part of the story is how you felt after that, how yeah. it changed your trip. And it's like when we talk about this anticipated stigma, internalized stigma, experience stigma, all of that, like this was a person that doesn't matter, but the way that he made me felt still really mattered. Like it still really hurt that a complete stranger who doesn't know me will never see me again and I'll never see him again still have a lasting effect. And I still get that pit in my stomach when I think about that. And it well, did, went out of his way. He went out of his way mean? to be hateful about a part of me that, again, like I wasn't even putting it out there, you know, like it's not like I was and, and it wouldn't have made it OK, you know, if I was holding Morgan's hand or doing whatever, it wouldn't have made him OK for him to be hateful. But I wasn't even putting that into the world. And he picked up on the smallest signal and turned it into something huge that just made me feel really, really terrible. And it did. It affected the rest of my trip. Yeah. And it made me sad and it made me, you know, every experience like that, it, it's just like, a, it's like going back into the closet for a second because you think, is it worth it? Well, and I think you, you've said to me before, you know, you have created so much community up here with queer beers and queer hikes and queer and, and you yeah, get I mean, to the point of, where you feel that, right? Yeah. And, you know, of course the queer hikes and queer beers and and all that are different community groups that have come together to basically create brave spaces for people so that your sexual identity or your gender identity is kind of the least important factor because it's already understood and, and, you know, part of it. And so those groups are so important because you're not ever worrying about walking into it and someone judging you. Um, You don't have that like weight. Yeah. And when I, you know, with the Europe thing and then, you know, Virginia, like, I look forward to coming home because of the community I know I have here. So, like, to to kind of talk about the difference then, in, in, in Europe, it was an acted stigma. Mm-hmm. But then did that create a feeling in you knowing you were traveling southerly direction to Virginia? Did that make you anticipate, like, what's going to happen? I think it's something I always have on my radar when I'm going to a new place. And maybe, you know, I kind of had these rose-colored glasses when I was in Europe because I just wasn't thinking about it. And again, it's partially wasn't thinking about it because I wasn't putting it out there. But I will say, you know, yes, going to Virginia, it was definitely something that I was thinking about. Um, and my girlfriend and I ended up sitting next to a don't tread on me hat guy on the plane on the way back. So that <laughs> kind of rubbed that in a little bit. But even in my professional life, um, you know, I went to a conference three weeks ago in New York, but it was a conference for e-com and tech. And so mm-hmm. you never really know who you're going to run into at those things. And I did have a weird interaction because the photo on the background of my phone was me and my girlfriend. And I was mm-hmm. just at a networking event and um, people were talking about their significant others, whatever. And I didn't put that out there because I don't know. 
right? It's anticipated stigma. I didn't put out like, yes, I'm dating a woman, but she was the background on my phone. And there was a moment and no one said anything, but there was a perceptible shift when my phone lit up because someone sent me a Slack message and the Mm -hmm. background of my phone was me and my girlfriend. And I could tell the men sitting there got uncomfortable. And it just like, and when I say I can tell, you know, it's not, that's not a projection. That's when you're in this community and when you when you are used to dealing with stigma and mm-hmm. anticipated stigma, you know the feeling when someone is looking at you differently. And how does that, like when you're in a conference like that or a meeting or you're traveling to Virginia, how does it change your behavior? It's just a lot more censorship, um, self-censoring. And I've been seeing a couple videos going around recently about this idea of passing Um and passing is not a new idea, right? It's the idea passing itself is, you know, kind of conforming to whatever the hegemonic ideal is, right? right? So whether that's, you know, whether you're passing as quote unquote straight or you're passing as quote unquote cis or you're passing as, you know, if you can pass as white when you're light skinned, there's just, right. it's always been a thing and it's 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 been a, a method of protection. And these videos that have been going around recently have kind of been pushing back against the idea of passing because it's like, well, assuming quote unquote passing is assuming that there is a norm and that there is something you should be conforming to. And I agree with that, but well, I also, it's also know- also trying to be- being part of the majority group. Mm-hmm. So you're passing to be in, in the in crowd rather than the out crowd, which is obviously well, not how we feel, but that's how society works oftentimes. Are you in the in are you the in group or the out group? Right. And honestly, it's it's sucks and it makes me feel sad at best and ashamed at worst that I am someone who is a very proud member of the LGBTQ community. I, you know, co-founded a queer community group because it's important to me that I have that community. And more often than not, I am the loudest person about, you know, being proud and, you know, in the workplace, making sure that we have good, you know, diversity and equity and inclusion initiatives in place and encouraging people to use their pronouns and display them as Mm -hmm. part of their Slack names and all these things. But then I still when I am in an uncomfortable situation, we'll, we'll pass. Right. And, and I'll, you know, it's like, I know that if I dress a certain way, there's going to be less presumption of, of my being queer. Or if I dress a certain way, there'll be more presumption of me being queer. If I right. wear a beanie and, you know, baggy pants and a certain outfit, there's going to be more of a, an eyebrow raise versus if I wear, you know, boots and tight jeans and a blouse, like right. there just is. Mm-hmm. And I have actively made that change where, you know, when I'm in a new environment, I absolutely try to pass at least at first because you're still testing the waters and you don't know if that anticipated stigma is going to become enacted stigma. Well, and, and, you know, according in the research, it's that piece too, that, you know, anticipated stigma leads to you concealing your identity and mm-hmm. concealing who you are. And like, I think you've, you know, we've had these conversations. Not everybody can do that. Right. Right. It is absolutely a privilege to be able to pass. Um, but it's also sad. Like it's a privilege, but it's also kind of Tragic. Well, well, it's it's a privilege, but but you're using it as a protective me- mechanism, and that's what makes it a, a privilege. Thing. Though, is that it, I do benefit from the protection that comes with being able to, at least, appear as quote unquote, you know, straight, straight. Yeah, and and that sucks. Like it doesn't feel good. Um, 
And, and then, you know, it's the same kind of issue that people experience, you know, gender minority, sexual minority, relationship diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, people who are polyamorous might have, you know, three partners. Maybe they can only ha- hold hands with one with partner one. in public. Right. Um, but like you said, they can pass. Right. But and that doesn't feel good not being able to acknowledge well, your other partner. And that's a really good point because they, there's passing as an individual and then there's also passing as a couple or in a relationship because, you know, biracial couples in certain parts of the country wouldn't feel comfortable holding hands just like a queer couple wouldn't feel comfortable in certain parts of the country and or certain parts of the world obviously too right. um, yeah as you found out <laughs> as i know yeah and yeah it's just it is a privilege to be able to pass but it's also a sad reality and i guess you know part of why we wanted to talk about this in this episode is because we do talk about things a lot in the abstract and we talk about them you know anticipated stigma we've talked about it from an academic standpoint as you mentioned but even for someone like me who has been so completely and utterly fortunate to have such a supportive family and supportive friends and and people who don't really look at me differently in my immediate personal circles when right. i say i'm queer or i'm dating a woman or whatever I am so fortunate in all of those ways, and I still deal with the acute stress that comes with just being who I am. And when it's like that for me, someone who comes to you every week, Mm -hmm. talks to our listeners every week with comfort about this part of my identity, I hope that it can remind people that I have it easy and it's still hard. Right. And and what's what happens, like you have community – but when you go into the broader world, you just don't know. And you that's know. That where the stress comes. And when when you feel that stress, what is it like? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because even like last week, um, I was in Toronto for work and I, for all intents and purposes, quote unquote, came out to my uh my boss and my new counterpart. As we talked about, colleague. coming out is easy, right? And you, you come, come out, out over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. And there was no reason for me to believe that their reaction would have been anything other than supportive, but you still you don't know till you know. Wonder. And you put it out there and it wasn't like some big coming out story. It was just like, oh yeah, like my girlfriend really misses me. Like it was something very casual like that, but you still hold your breath. Right. You go, yeah, my girlfriend really misses me. What well, are they going to say? What well, are they going to say? Because those are people who support you and those are your work people and you want them to continue mm-hmm. to support you. So when they do, it's a sigh of relief. And when on the rare instance that, like I said, you get that reaction of whether it's someone blatantly saying, you know, you're a lesbian and you're full of sin or it's just someone shifting their position and looking at you a little different. It sucks. It does not feel good. And that is why to go back to, you know, the episode we did with Mel about the queer hiking group last semester, it is why community is so important. And it's why having groups of people who understand your unique experiences of, you know, feeling a certain type of way and sometimes feeling like you need to pass or you need to censor, like having those community groups is a huge part of what makes you able to accept yourself and embrace yourself even in a world where anticipated stigma and enacted stigma are very much still happening. Which reminds me, I've had open for a bit, um, one of my fellow grad students um, published a paper just in October talking about age being the moderator between community and psychological distress, meaning that it's particularly important for young 18 to 29 to find community. Mm -hmm. When there is that community, psychological distress is demonstrably lower. So, you know, that's a protective thing, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we wanted to take this episode to share a story. We like to do that. Um, and, yeah. And um, I think it's important for you 
in particular tell the story because of who you are, Shannon. And you know, in the in the world, you are courageous and brave and perhaps by telling these stories, people will realize that it's not over for LGBTQ. No. It's not done. And I they, I know there's like, when I've had conversations just around gender, there's a presumption that it's done. And you guys have it easy. Everybody accepts. And it's not true, is it? No, it's not true. And there's always, there's a difference between, you know, we're very grateful for certain laws being passed and certain protections being put in place. But people and mindsets are still a big barrier to feeling totally accepted. And while our communities are beautiful and wonderful, we're, it's not over and it's not one. Um, and, yeah. and those of you who support LGBT and support anyone who's in minority groups, continue to do that and be vocal mm -hmm. so that these types of conversations are being had in, in coffee shops. And if somebody is looking askance, someone else calls it out and says, hey. Well, and as we said on our episode with Benny, um, in our first semester, be an advocate and be an ally when someone in that marginalized or minority group isn't in the room. That's the biggest difference that you can make is when you see a perspective or you see a mindset that could potentially be hurtful or even dangerous to a minority or marginalized group. Speak up and, and endeavor to change minds and change hearts even when the person that it's affecting directly isn't in the room. That's a really, really excellent point because I do think that it's it's this continual conversations that I don't even want to use the word normalize because that sucks. But the <laughs> continuous conversations is allows us to be more expansive as humans in terms of who we include mm -hmm. in our world, in our conversations, in our laws, in our interactions. Keep talking, keep having conversations, and keep loving. Keep loving. <laughs> and hey, keep being who you are too. This, for for those in, in the LGBTQ community and for those in any kind of marginalized group, this is a reality for us, but it doesn't mean that you have to be anyone other than you. And there are so many people, including us on this Mary podcast, that love you and want you to be exactly who you are. Rock on, Shannon. Rock on. <laughs> so that is it for our study session. Um, keep tuning in for biweekly episodes of Sex Ed Debunked and continue to reach out to us with questions and conversations you'd like us to introduce and be a part of. Thanks for listening. Sex Ed Debunked is produced by Trailblaze Media in Providence, Rhode Island. Our sound producer is Ezra Winters with production assistance from Shay Weintraub.